Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called God Is. In this series, we're learning who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Thanks for joining us. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. And if you're getting used to your Bibles, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. We actually were there last Sunday too, but this is chapter 22. If you want to, uh, didn't bring a Bible and you want to use one, we should have a black one hopefully nearby you in the seat rack. And if you take it out, it's on page 16 in the black Bible. We're going to look at all 18 verses of this chapter and so, uh, or the eight, first 18 verses of this chapter. So it may help for you to be able to follow along. And uh, if you haven't been with us, there is your turning to that. We're in a series called Our God Is. That's what we're doing this summer is looking at the names of God. We've entitled it Our God Is. And uh, the first Sunday, we saw Steve taught us about how our God is Yahweh, the relational name for God. I am who I am. And uh, that was uh, really helpful. And then uh, the second week, last week, we saw Pastor Brian Schwerberg talk to us about, you know, that he is Elroy, the God who sees me, the God who sees. And so today we're going to talk about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, or the Lord will provide. And uh, again, if you don't know this, Yahweh... Uh, that Steve talks about, if you anglicize that name, it's common to hear Jehovah. That's the same word as Yahweh. And in, in the Hebrew, the, there are no vowels. I don't know if you know this, but there's just 22 consonants in their alphabet. And so they have breath sounds and things like that. So it's just four consonants in a row. And so it can either be said Yahweh or Jehovah. Again, it's the relational name for God. And again, anytime you want to see where that word shows up in most Bibles, those four letters, Lord, are capitalized in all caps. So today we're going to talk about Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yira, however you want to say it, but Jehovah Jireh is the common way. So um, as I talk to you about that, here's just some things we're thinking about every week in this series if you're following along. First, if you're following in the notes, the goal is to know who God is and how he wants to relate to us. The goal is to know who God is and how he wants to relate to us. You know, I don't, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but the, uh, the goal in life is to know God. Jesus said, this is life, that they may know God, uh, the one and the one he sent, me. This is life. So knowing God. Now, here's another thing. What you and I think about God is important. In fact, here's what A.W. Tozer uh, has said, I don't know if you've ever read this book, it's called The Knowledge of the Holy, it has a number of different studies on the attributes of God, but here's what he says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, when, when something comes into your mind, it's going to determine what steps you take next. If God is, you have a low view of God, it'll determine a lot of decisions you make. If you have a high view of God, it'll have a lot of, you know, you'll, you'll notice a difference. So if you're following along, the way I've summarized that in that second line is, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, um, today we're going to look at this account of Abraham with his son Isaac. And I want to just say a couple of things to you. First of all, God has used this particular passage in my life with some of the most important decisions I've ever made. And I'll talk more about that later in the message. But I want to make sure I also am truthful with you. 
It's this passage in the Bible that has caused some people not to believe in God. It is so radical that when people read it, some people are totally turned off and some people are saying, what a God. So I don't know how it's going to affect you, but I've been praying that you would find that this passage that God can use in your life so that you can know him better and how he wants to relate to you. Because it shows us something. If you were to ask Abraham, hey, Abraham, when you walked with God, what did you come to know about who God is and how he wants to relate? He said, I, here's, here's one way. I came to know him as the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Now, why do we need this message? Why do we need to know that the Lord will provide? I don't know what you're like, but I have a pretty good idea after being a pastor for a while that you probably struggle with some of the same things I struggle with. And here's what I've learned about human beings. All of us, in our secret moments, are afraid that we won't have enough. All of us are afraid of losing things that are our security, or we're afraid of not having enough. And that's why we need to come to know God as the Lord who provides and how he wants to relate to us. So would you pray with me that God would take this text today and do as he wills with us and teach us? Now, Lord, I want to pray that as we look at this together, that this would not just be information to us as important as information is, but I pray that by your grace, this would become revelation to us. Reveal yourself to us, for that's the only way we'll know you, and teach us how you reveal yourself to us and what our part is. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Again, I'm going to read through these verses, but when we come to verse 8 and we come to verses 13 and 14, would you be ready to read from the message notes there, those gray boxes, so we can read out loud together? But let's begin this as we look at Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. Now, verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. That's an interesting word. We'll come back to it. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. If you're following along in the notes, God tests Abraham, telling him to relinquish the son he loves. God tests Abraham, telling him to relinquish the son he loves. And again, the, you give me this privileged opportunity to, when I teach to, to have time to study the word of God. And one of the, one of the words, there's several words that stood out to me. One of them is this word test. I don't like tests. Do you like tests? I never liked them in school. I don't like them in life a lot of times, right? They're just not usually pleasant. But God, it, it tells us, it gives us a view from above. Abraham doesn't know necessarily what's going on. He doesn't necessarily realize this is a test. He can't see the large picture, but we see that God is testing Abraham. Now, when you think of test, maybe your mind goes to the fact that test is to see how people will mess up or fail. Sometimes maybe that's the motive some people offer tests, but God doesn't. The evil one tests us or tempts us to bring out the bad in us. God tests us to bring out the good in us completely different motive. And so that's what's going on here, but it doesn't necessarily look like it at first based on what God asked him to do. 
And so he tests him. And notice how he tests him. He tests him by asking him to relinquish the son he loves. What's the word relinquish mean? Here's a definition. Relinquish means to let go of something or to give something up. To let go of something or to give something up. In, in this case, it can also mean to give something back. But the idea has everything to do with how we hold things or don't hold them. And so he asks him to relinquish the son he loves. He's also, as Brian reminded us last week, the son of the promise. God was going to bless Abraham and all the nations of the earth through him, but through his offspring. If you go back to chapter 21 and look at verse 12, it says, it is through Isaac that I'm going to keep my promise. And now God's saying, I want you to give Isaac back to me. Now, when people read this, I told you that some people get turned off. They say, this is awful. And I'm not arguing. It is awful. But how do we understand it? And there's times when passages like Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 at least cause me to slow down and pause when I'm choking on verses like this. And here's what it says. Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Notice the capital letters. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This calls for humility. This means that God does things sometimes and thinks things sometimes that are, that are bigger than my thoughts and bigger than my ways. And so when we see these situations, Abraham was learning that about God, and I'm sure this is one of those things. Some of you like football, and if you've ever watched football in the last few years, head coaches, when they see different plays called, if they disagree with them, they throw out a thing called the red flag. They throw it on the field to object. And that what they mean is, is I want the referee to go back into under the hood and check that camera and see if they made the right call. And there has got to be times in our lives, I bet there's times in your lives where you want to just throw the red flag. God, are you kidding me? I think that's the wrong call. I don't think this is a good idea. And Abraham may have felt that. But here's one of the things that we learn. In those moments, what we do next says everything. Henry Blackaby put it this way. I've been meditating on this this week. He says, anytime God leads you to do something that has God-sized dimensions, you will face a crisis of belief. What you do next, what you do next, reveals what you really believe about God. What you believe about God will determine what you do. And what did Abraham believe about God? Well, let's see in the next couple of verses, verse three and four. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Now, a couple of things. When it says the third day, the area where Abraham was when God gave him this command and tested him was in Beersheba. Moriah, if we go by the place that's traditionally believed to be Mount Moriah, was about 45 miles away. Now, Abraham had Isaac when he was 100 years old. I mean, Sarah had the baby, but Abraham was the dad. So when he was 100 years old, Isaac came into his life. 
We're going to see that he calls him the boy later. And most scholars believe that at this point, Isaac's about 15 years old. He's a teenager. So that means that Abraham is 115 years old. So when it says earlier, when he says Abraham, and he says, here I am. A lot of times we think that means he's saying, here I am in Beersheba. That's not what he means. He means, here I am, ready for service. I'm available. Yes, Lord, what do you want? And so unless you and I come to a place in our lives where that's our posture, when God says something to us, it'll always feel like an interruption and always feel like a drag. And Abraham hears that and notice this. What does he do? He does not procrastinate. If you're following along in the notes, Abraham obeys God without procrastinating. Abraham obeys God without procrastinating. I was thinking about, have you learned that the longer you put something off, the harder it gets? My grandma used to teach me that if I didn't like something on my plate when the food was served, to eat that first. So I learned to eat vegetables first, as often as I could, and then the rest of the meal was a blast by comparison. The point is, is when you and I procrastinate, it'll get harder, not easier. When Abraham, he decided resolutely, and here's a 115-year-old guy out chopping wood early the next morning saying, okay, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to trust God by showing that what I do next is the action in that direction. And uh, does someone need to just be reminded today that procrastinating is not a good idea with God? It's helpful for me just to see Abraham's example here. Tony Evans says this, sometimes God will allow you to experience larger problems in life because he wants to unveil a larger portion of himself to you. Abraham didn't understand, but he acted on it. Now, verse 5, look at what it says. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, notice it took three days because 45 miles for a 115-year-old guy with his donkey and his son and his servants. That would have not been an easy journey. Again, it's not necessarily flat like Springfield. And so they made this journey, and when he saw it from a distance, he says to his servants, if you're following along, he declares, we will worship, and then we, not I, we will come back to you. That's fascinating. He says, Isaac and I are going to go up on the mountain here. And we're going to worship God. Some people say, well, he was just kind of lying to him. But I really believe that Abraham understood what true worship is. True worship is to exalt God even when you don't understand his ways. And so he said, we're going up and we're going to worship. And just so you know, here's what I believe. We're both coming back to you. They didn't know the whole story. But Abraham is speaking that with a heart of conviction about how this is going to turn out. So verses 6 through 8, when I get to verse 8, I'll give you the cue. We can read that together. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, I don't think Abraham, uh, Isaac was in on the conversation God had with Abraham earlier. 
So he's kind of doing the math. He's going, okay, dad and I are going up the mountain. I see the wood. I see the fire. Something's missing. Hmm. He starts to get curious. And he asked a question. I was talking with a man after the church. He said, you can, you can capsulize the entire Old Testament with this question. Where is the lamb? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And he asked it because he's thinking, um, we need that. And Abraham says to him a reply that we read together in verse 8. Would you join me? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on from there. Boy, Abraham understood something. If you're following along, he assures Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. In other words, he's not just going to offer it. He's going to be so personally involved in that. God himself will provide the lamb. What a phenomenal prophecy on Abraham's part, but also a response to his son. So if you're following along, verse 9, it says, When he reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. If you're following along, he builds an altar and then lays Isaac on it. He builds an altar and then lays Isaac on it. Out to the right there, I've listed two or three other times where Abraham, this was his pattern in life as he traveled through his journey with God. Abraham would build an altar and call on the name of the Lord. He would build an altar. Altars were always about presenting yourself to God and offering yourself to God. It was worship for Abraham. But now he builds this altar and then he lays his son Isaac on top of it. Now let me just ask you, hey, can, you can you use your imagination with me? Have you ever built an altar? I've never built an altar. I'm told that what you do is you gather a number of stones and you stack them on top of each other to a certain height. And I had a friend once say, you know how you build altars? You take the hard things in life and you stack them on top of each other before God. But then he put the wood on top and then the Bible says he binds his son and lays him on top of the wood. And some people go, did he do that forcefully? Did he grab and trick his son? Let me just ask you to think this out, okay? Some of you are parents or grandparents or uncles and aunts. If you're 115 years old and your 15-year-old son decides he doesn't want to do something, who wins? Most, I mean, again, if he wanted to run away from his dad, he could have done that. I think a conversation happened. I think he said, you know, you asked where the lamb is and you see me building this altar. God told me to put you on the altar. And I want to just remind you, you're a miracle boy. You're a miracle son. God has a plan bigger than both of us, and I don't fully understand it, but I'm wondering, would you join me in this? I don't know what God's doing, but God's doing something. And I think Isaac said, I trust you, Dad. Go ahead. He binds him, he lays him on the altar. What a moment. I don't think Isaac ever forgot this day the rest of his life. He was involved. And his dad was teaching him how to trust God. He'd already told him, son, we can do this because God will provide the lamb. 
Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How did he get the courage to do that? Well, if you're following along, by faith he offers Isaac, reasoning God can be trusted. By faith he offers Isaac, reasoning God can be trusted. You know, again, sometimes we need uh, more explanation than the text gives us here, and the New Testament provides it. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 that I've listed out to the right has the explanation. And it uses this word reasoned. So I'll come back to it in a second. But look at this verse with me, if you would. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Now notice that's past tense. In our, in our language, that's actually perfect tense. What it means is, is that he actually did that. In other words, not literally, but in his heart. He offered Isaac. He, he literally went through all the way in his mind. He was ready to go all the way through it. And so it was as good as done. Okay? He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though, now notice it says was about to. So literally, he didn't do it. But in his heart, he already had. Even though God had said to him, and this quotes Genesis 21, verse 12, the chapter before the one we're studying right now, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, here's the word, reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Abraham went through this. He thought, I wouldn't even have Isaac if God had not given him to me. If God's asking me to give him back, it makes no sense because he's the one that's the promised one. So God's going to have to do something that I can't see right now in order to pull that off. And my trust is in God's character even if I can't understand his command. So let me just try and, and... and share with you, that again, he worked through that in his mind, and he literally, according to Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, literally believed there was going to be a resurrection. He literally believed that if he got all the way through that, that God would literally raise his son again, so that they, as a miracle as that is, and they'd be able to walk down the mountain again and greet the servants and say, we'll come back to you. We came back to you. Wow. Now, how how do you get to the place where you trust God like that? How do you not hold on to something instead? And so there's a little story that's helped me, kind of, maybe it'll help you. There was a little boy that was at the beach one day, and uh, his parents and brothers and sisters were a little farther down the beach, but he wanted to go swimming, and so he was trying to figure out what to do, and he had a quarter in his hand, and he didn't want to lose it. So he saw this older lady sitting in her chair at the edge of the beach, and so he went up to her and he said, are you honest? And she said, yes. Um, Do you like kids? She said, I do. Do you believe in God? She said, I do. He goes, okay, would you hold my quarter while I go swimming, please? The only way you can let go is if you trust the person 
whose hands you're putting it into. It's the only way. Someone has said that sacrifice is giving up someone or something you love to someone you love even more. And Abraham reasoned that God could be trusted. When we sing your great name, you know what we mean? Your great character. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we pray in the character of Jesus. And so Abraham did that. Let's continue verse 11 and 12. It says, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. There's that here I am again. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have, and here's the word, not withheld from me your son, your only son. I told you that the word test stood out to me. Here's another word, the word withheld or withhold or hold on to. So if you're following along, God stops Abraham knowing he hasn't withheld his only son. He hasn't withheld his only son. What are you tempted to hold on to? What do you find that you have a hard time really trusting God with? If you can name that, that's what Abraham had to deal with. And that's what God often puts his finger on. Verses 13 and 14, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. By the way, I just started reading verse 13 and 14. Would you mind reading that with me? I kind of hogged the show here. Let's read it together. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. If you're following along, Abraham sacrifices a ram in the thicket instead of his son. I think it was Tony Evans. It says, while Abraham and Isaac were walking up one side of the mountain, they didn't know it, but God was actually having a ram go up the other side of the mountain that would meet them at the right time. We can't always see. We don't always know how. We don't know when. We don't know God's ways many times enough to know when he asks us to do hard things. But God was doing something that would so change Abraham's life that he said, I'm naming this place. The Lord will provide so that I never forget. That's exactly what he did. And they saw this ram in the thicket and they were able to sacrifice that in the place of Isaac. And when God did that, they worshiped. They worshiped with gratitude. They realized this is who God is. Our God is provider. Our God is Jehovah Jireh. Friends, I, if I think about how you walk out of this room today and walk to your car, can I just ask you to repeat four words with me? The Lord will provide. Will you say that with me? The Lord will provide. I pray that those words will stay on your heart the rest of this day and into this week. Because when you come to know who God is and how he wants to relate to you like that, it'll change your life. The Lord will provide, friends. And Abraham came to know that. And notice this. He sees ahead, if you're following along, and calls the place the Lord will provide. 
He sees ahead. Now, where do I get this? He sees ahead. Jesus said this. Jesus said in John 8, 56, one day, when the Jewish people were questioning him and saying, you know, Abraham's our father. You know, we don't know where you're from and stuff like that. He goes, oh, really? Abraham looked forward to my day and he welcomed it. You don't, but he did. This is an amazing thing. He's saying even way back there, he could see what God was going to do one day because as he trusted God, God gave him revelation to see farther than he had been able to see before. Look at John 8, 56 in the message paraphrase. I love how this says it. Abraham, your father, with jubilant faith, looked down the corridors of history and saw my day coming. He saw it and cheered. And that leads us to this next part. God promises to bless all nations through Abraham's offspring. God promises to bless all nations through Abraham's offspring. Let me read the rest of these verses, 15 through 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. By the way, this is the first time God ever says, I swear by myself. That's a pretty good promise. That means like double guarantee this is going to happen because I'm totally trustworthy. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now this was phenomenal. Here he is, just him and Isaac stand there going, wow, that's a lot of, that's a lot of people. Just us? You're going to do that through all this? He says, because you have not withheld, because you have trusted me, now I'm going to do something. And here's the word that stood out to me this week, through you. Friends, God wants to do something through you and through me, but he tests us at times to see if we'll trust him. And what he says is, is that through your offspring, all the nations, wow, he lived... He was a sojourner to think that God would touch the whole world through him one day. Well, how did he do that? Well, the Bible tells us that eventually, where is the lamb? Was followed up with, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know whose Abraham offspring was? Jesus. He was a descendant of Abraham. And when he came on the earth, he came. The Bible says, provide purification for sin to take away the sins of the whole world and so whenever you think about whatever you're facing whatever's got you scared out of your wits whether you're wondering if God will provide I pray that you'll see the cross behind it every time so you can trust him there was a person in our church that was going through a devastating I mean devastating divorce and as the details played out and there was more and more pain I just said to this person How are you doing this? I'll never forget their answer. They said, well, something that's helped me keep it in perspective is when I remember that on the cross, Jesus took care of my biggest problem. My biggest problem is that I was separated from God because of my sin. And God dealt with that in Jesus Christ by providing Jesus so that now with Jesus, I can face whatever problems I'm facing because he took care of my biggest problem, praise his name. I remember thinking, wow, that is fantastic. And so we, 
worship that. And so whenever the Lord provides for us, we should ask this question. Lord, why, why did you provide this? Is this just for me? Or do you want me to bless someone else as well? So that you can work through me. And it's not just about me. Years ago, I read this by Oswald Chambers. Have you ever seen this quote before? It's kind of fascinating. It says, if you're going to be used by God, he will take you through a number of experiences that are not meant for you at all. They are designed to make you useful in his hands and to enable you to understand what takes place in the lives of others so that you will never be surprised at what you come across. Abraham came to understand, man, what's going on here up at the mountain isn't just about me. This is about all the nations of the earth. This is about my son learning to trust God. This is about so much more than just me. Oh God, show me how to trust you in a way that I could not know you if I don't trust you. Oh God. So I want to just talk with you these last few minutes about how we can know the Lord is provider. The Lord is provider, okay? Because, you know, it's one thing for us to say, okay, I got the story and all that, but I want, you to, I want to just talk to you about the way this can become part of your life. So the second, the first thing that you see there is, will I thank him for rams in the thicket he provides? Will I thank him for rams in the thicket he provides? You know, the apostle Paul would eventually say in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, look, according to what Jesus has done, my God can supply every need of yours. Did you know right before he wrote those words, he was thanking the Philippians for how they had provided for his needs. But he realized that they were just the human conduit that God had supplied his needs through the body of Christ. This last week, uh, there was a person in our church going through one of the hardest things in their life. And so we were interacting and they said to me, I thank God for the body of Christ. I would not have been able to stand up under this if it wasn't for him providing the body of Christ. And so when you think about rams in the thicket, I, I want to just tell you this story. Back when our church was having a financial stewardship campaign, there was a number of us that felt called by God to sacrifice in ways that scared us out of our minds. And so I remember in the weeks that followed, one of the people in our church was reading their Bible one morning, and they came to Genesis 22, and they read about a ram in the thicket. So they eventually said to me, they said, you know, as I was reading this morning, the Lord said, are you thanking me for the rams in the thicket? You're scared about whether or not I'm going to supply during this time, but are you noticing all the rams in the thicket I'm providing for you during these three years? And then they sensed that the Lord was saying, will you thank me for all, will you keep a list of all the rams in the thicket I give? And they were doing that, and while they were doing that, one day they, they saved about 50 cents at the grocery store, and the Lord said, would you thank me for a ram in the thicket even if it's just 50 cents? And I remember thinking to myself, that's awesome. Now here, why is this so important? Because it's as we remember how the Lord has already provided that we can trust God for how he will provide. And so are you thanking God? Can you name this morning when I got up, I walked out to my car. I just remember having this thought through my mind. I have eyesight and I can see how green the trees are this morning. And that's, you provided me with eyesight and I haven't thanked you in a long time, even for the simple ability to see. Oh God, let me walk around all the time and notice you provided that, you provided that, you provided that. 
I'm richer than I realized you provided. Now help me trust you with what I'm scared you won't provide. And the second thing is this, will I hold on or relinquish blank to the Lord? Will I hold on, you know, withhold, or relinquish blank to the Lord? I know this is when most of you put your Bibles away, and that's okay, but will you remember the blank? Because I want to think with you about the blank. So I told you this passage of Scripture has been used in my life many times. And it's, it's literally the reason I'm standing actually right here. When I was in, uh, first married to Trish, Trish and I were living in Elgin. I've told a little bit about this before, but a buddy and I were trying to uh, learn more about God together at work, but I hated my job. I was in sales there, and I, I was okay at it, but I just am not the kind of person that each day can keep going after it. And I realized, oh man, and so it was hard for me. And so I remember we were reading this book together and one day at break, I came back and here was what was on my desk there in Elgin. I saw these, I don't know if you can tell, this is five little stones. And um, I don't know if you can tell, but I knew immediately what he had just put on my desk. Those five stones were an altar. And I knew he was basically saying to me as a friend, will you put your worries about your future on the altar? So I eventually took some little pieces of paper and I had applied for an internship at our church in Wheaton. I had applied for this youth pastor job at a place called Cherry Hills Baptist Church in Springfield, Illinois. And then there was a couple other little pieces of paper, but I remember the hardest little piece of paper. By the way, I didn't write the words out. I just put initials in case anybody opened those little pieces of paper. So I put the hardest piece of paper for me to put on there was staying right here in this job. But I knew that God was saying, would you get to the place where you will not withhold that from me and give that to me and agree to that? Well, you know, eventually I, I ended up at Cherry Hills. I was a youth pastor for over four years here. And then I went out to Iowa for six and a half years. When we left Springfield here the first time, we didn't have a sense that we were ever coming back to Springfield. We couldn't see that far. And so when we were out in Iowa, uh, the chairman of the search team called us and said, would you be willing to put your name back in the hat as be considered to come back to Springfield? And interestingly, when that call came separately, Trish and I both had the sense of here's God's impression. Will you lay your Isaac back on the altar? And we understood what Isaac meant was, you've been here six years, you are comfortable here, your kids are, know everything here, you, you've, you've watched you God work here, and, but you know, what happens in Springfield is kind of unknown. And the unknown was challenging. And so, but we both sensed we needed to get to a place where we say, okay, God, we'll go if you ask us to go. 23 years ago last week, we moved into town. Last Friday, I was out for a walk, and I was overwhelmed at how the Lord has provided. The people that I've been able to meet that I would have missed if I hadn't laid that back on the altar. The things that he wanted to show me about himself that I would have missed. And so, I don't know what it is for you, what do you need to trust him with? What are you scared to trust him with? What do you need to lay on the altar? I just want to invite you to, to listen to God because he's not showing you that to take it from you, but because he wants to do something in you and through you.
even more. So we're going to sing a song called Great is Thy Faithfulness. Because in this song, there's this line. All I have needed, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. So would you stand, and we're going to sing that song together as a prayer. And think about how you can thank God or trust God with what he's saying to you. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.